You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to The School for Dumb Women, the podcast where we investigate the things you're too proud to admit you know nothing about. I'm your hostwoman, a charming care package left at your door, Hannah Varrell. With me is bacterial overload, Alexandra Haddo. I've been viral since before you were born, Hannah. And social distancing queen, Caroline O'Donoghue. I was holding you all at arm's length anyway, mostly because I'm afraid of getting nicked again. This week we're learning about the wife of an American president, why Madame Tussaud was such a waxy bitch, and how to be hot in a pandemic. Let's start the show! Hannah, you're looking shiny and not quite like yourself, but I would pay £15 to send next to you and have my picture taken. What's going on? That's good to know. Does that mean that I can invoice you for previous pictures taken? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, we've all got yeah. to make our way somehow. Now that, uh, you know, freelance revenue streams are dwindling, yeah, dwindling exactly. hard. Now it feels yeah. like the ideal time to just call in straight debt, I think. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I was uh, doing a virtual trivial pursuit game with my friends the other day because that's how cool I am. Mm-hmm. Sure. And a question came up about Madame Two Swords. And I was like, oh, God, yeah, like, like, the more I think about this pandemic, the more I'm like, oh, that thing's also in the pandemic. That person's also in the pandemic. Everyone is. And then I was like, yeah, Madame Tussauds is just is just quiet, I guess, at the moment. I'm like, what are all the <laughs> oh, wax Oh, my doing? God, that is such a creepy thought. Just yeah. like they're, they're all just standing there in the dark, like Kylie Minogue just waiting to get her picture taken, you know? Yeah, just waiting, <laughs> just getting like dusty and yeah. Oh my God, that is so goosebumps. I love it. I wonder as well, because um the weather has been so warm recently, if they, they have like temperature control in there. Oh, I mean, surely. Yeah. Well, otherwise it's just like a candle museum. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how Madame Two Swords, I don't know how Madame Two Swords isn't quiet every day of the year because I find it the most <laughs> baffling tourist attraction I've never been I've got no desire to go nothing it's so weird isn't it yeah I have been but it's one of those things that I think I went to with my French exchange in year nine and uh, no one really had a nice time yeah it's a it's a funny old concept isn't it because like the weird thing is that like Places like Madame Tussauds and like wax museums in general as like attractions kind of exist to another world where like we didn't have cameras with us all the time. So like, yeah. even if, like it's like the thing is now if somebody does like run into a celebrity, you take a picture with them and there it is. And it's actually not that impressive when someone has a picture with some, with a famous person. Whereas like 10 years ago to have a picture with someone who might look like they were or 20 years ago who might look like they were famous was kind of more of a guess. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
yeah, but it kind of, it got me all thinking about who Madame Tussaud was. And, oh my God, she's had an interesting life. Well, I say she has had, she's dead. She's very much dead. <laughs> Spoiler, she's dead. Yeah. <laughs> I think you must Sorry. have had something happen to you to think, I know what I'll put my name to. <laughs> I know, yeah. Well, okay, so let me let me take you through her biography. Um, she was born in Strasbourg in France in 1761 and her father died before she was born. Very sad. Um, when she was six, her mother decided to move them both to Bern, which is in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. I've been there. It was quite nice. It was quite plain. Lovely. You love shitty European cities where no one's been. I, <laughs> I remember buying beer in McDonald's there. So that was exciting. Ooh, Ooh that is exciting. Yeah. So they moved to Bern because her mum got a job as a live-in housekeeper for this guy called Philippe Curtius. Um, who was a doctor, and he would do wax models. Do you see where I'm going with this? Oh. Ah. <laughs> um, so he f- he first started using wax to illustrate anatomy because he was a doctor, and, da, 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 and I read somewhere that maybe he didn't like blood. Um, and oh. then he started doing portraits with the wax. And uh, he got quite close to Marie and her mum, and uh, she called him uncle. He moved to Paris to do her, his uh, wax portraits because they were getting popular. And then Marie and her mum joined him. I'm and... going to say, Hannah, I'm going to interrupt you there. My nonce, my nonce-o-meter is flying all over the place. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> like a giant nonce to me. Well, there's there was some kind I have of to uh... agree. <laughs> <laughs> there was some kind of question over whether um, he was actually uh, having a little having a little thing with her mum. Ooh. that's a relief to me because I thought when you said she called him uncle I was like uh oh yeah yeah, I know I know I did think that but do you know what like I'll get to this later but there's so many different biographies of this woman some of the, some of them have said that him, he was actually her uncle you know he was like her mum's brother some people have said that yeah her, her mum was in a relationship with him I don't know. It's uh, it's complicated. Okay. So what year? What year are we talking here? When when was Madame Tussaud? Oh, alive? so they they moved to Paris in uh, 1766. Oh wow, that is a long while back, isn't it? Such a long time ago. Yeah, I thought it was um, like a Victorian thing. I thought it would have been like 1880 or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, it's proper proper old school, old time. So basically his waxworks became really popular in Paris. Everyone was going to see them. He started teaching Marie to do it. She was very good at it. And then she, uh, when she was about 16 or so, she was good enough to do these waxworks on her own. And so she started, she did like a waxwork of Rousseau, who was the philosopher, um, Voltaire. And then she ingratiated herself with the royal family. And she was doing waxworks of Louis XVI's cohort. Oh, wow. Um, so this was like just before the revolution then? Well, yes. And She's she a full-on giving... social climber. I know, right? Um, and she even gave the king's sister art lessons. She made these waxworks of them all sitting down to dinner. Like, it was all going swimmingly, guys. Absolutely swimmingly. And then, as Caroline pointed out, <laughs> in 1789, the French Revolution came. Oh, um, no. And essentially, it was loosely about overthrowing the monarchy. And loosely. It was loosely. <laughs> in some... <laughs> in five words or less <laughs> yeah so because of her links to the royal family Marie was arrested and uh, wow. they, they put her in a dungeon they shaved her head ready to guillotine her oh my god and then I know I know 
And then apparently a few days before she was going to be executed, Curtis, who, uh, you know, the guy, her uncle, whatever he is, um, found out that she had been imprisoned and basically told the revolutionaries, no, she's on our side, she's fine. And, uh, and by the way, she does these wax works with me. And she was released and employed to make wax death masks of all the aristocrats and the royalists and stuff who had been executed. So wow. she was then rummaging oh around, God. rummaging around in the piles of heads and like picking them out and doing wax works of these guillotined heads. Wait, who was commissioning these guillotined heads, though? Who was commissioning the waxes, you know? It was the revolutionaries. They, they, Because what they would do is they would display them. Uh, ah, yeah, like we've killed this person, we've killed that person. Yeah, because I don't know how practical it is to, like, put an actual head on a stick and keep it for ages. You could put a waxwork head on a stick, I guess. Why the hell has this not been made into a BBC One 9pm Sunday night drama yet? It, I know, it smacks of Kira Knightley, doesn't it? It does. Oh, so does. <laughs> yeah, absolutely honks of her. Kira um, Knightley in the same role she always plays. <laughs> yeah, as a woman who carries a fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what I found really horrible was that she, she made death masks, apparently, of uh, like Marie Antoinette and King Louis, who <gasps> she used to be mates with. So weird. Yeah, so but it's maybe weird. maybe she just thought she was going to be killed if she didn't, you know? Well, yeah. Like, yeah, Jesus Christ. Well, so she says that she was forced to do it, but she might have been paid. She might have just been being paid. That's a, she, she's just an opportunist, really. But, well, yeah, maybe. I mean, if someone was going to pay you to make death masks of, of dead people's heads, would you... I mean, how much would you have to be paid to do that? Uh, well, let's say the revolution against like uh, people who make meaningless content online comes, and uh, yes. you guys, and you guys are guillotined, and they say to me like, "You, you know, you're up against the wall next OD." I'm like, "Oh, I didn't even like them," and they're like, "If you didn't like them so much, <laughs> why don't you write terrible poems about how much you hated them?" And I would exactly. say, "Of course, <laughs> exactly, yeah." I mean, the problem with me saying how much I would be paid to do this is that my sculptures would be terrible. But I think um, I think you could pay me about 500 quid and I'd do a waxwork if you had. Yeah. Yeah, fine. Yeah. Especially if it also meant staying alive for, you know, another couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> while everyone I knew was killed around me. <laughs> it might have been the other way around. She might have fucking hated them, but they were royals. And if they said make a waxwork of, of whoever, then she was like, yep, yeah, okay, fine. And then, uh, you know, Marie Antoinette's telling people to eat cake and then she gets she gets what's coming to her and then Madame Tussauds like, yeah, fuck you. I'll make you death That's mask. true. I love history yeah. by Alex Haddo. It's always so fruity. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, fuck you. Yeah, the BBC haven't asked me to be their history teacher as they're doing recently, but, you know. Oh, give it time. Yeah. Um, so so when... Um... I saw this little this little fact, which was that when um, Curtis, her uncle person, used to make uh, people's faces, because you'd do like a plaster cast first, and then you'd make a mould of it, and then you'd pour the wax in and let the wax dry, and then you'd like paint the wax and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so when he would make them of people's faces, he'd put straws up their noses, and they'd have to kind of sit there and, you know, like breathe through their straws for a bit, which is all very jolly and funny. Yeah. But of course, when you're doing a guillotined head, you don't have to bother with the straws, because uh, they don't need mm. to breathe. So yeah, it just, it just oh, yeah. that kind of struck me as <laughs> God. That doesn't sound very creepy at all. <laughs> My God. I know. So yeah, that's that's what she was doing during the revolution. 
And then in uh, and then after the revolution in 1794, Curtius died, and um, he left her his collection of sculptures, which you know it's still been you know really popular and everything. And then a year after that, she married this guy, this engineer called Francois Tussaud, because um, ah. actually her her maiden name was Groschultz. Oh. Which I find really annoying now. I mean, I know it's not like an original thing to say, but his name is now synonymous with her work. Yeah. And she did all of this shit before he even turned up. And now the two sword family name is like it's so like all tr- about waxworks. Yeah. Wax. Seriously, would Taurus queue up from all over the world to go to Madame what did you say it was? Yeah, Gosh, I was gonna Brussels. say. Yeah, it just doesn't have the same <laughs> ring, does it? Maybe she married him for his name. Yeah, well, because the thing about Tussaud is that in in French it's like Tussaud, like it sounds quite nice, and uh. in and in like you know in Britain we'll just say two swords, and then <laughs> <Yeah>. two swords. <laughs> we'll butcher it, ev- butcher everything. If we get the yeah, chance. yeah, yeah. Uh, we love that. I love you as the innkeepers from Les Misérables, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> my finest work lovely ladies <laughs> <laughs> but so then you think you think okay that must be pretty much it that's that's enough now um but then in 1802 she moved to england um and then she spent 36 years traveling around the uk displaying her waxworks in like every different city 36 oh. years blimey wow. she loved fish and chips but did she fall in love Oh, did she um, fall in love? Well, I don't know. She had this husband. Oh well, yeah. Sorry, and what did he do? He was a wax. He as was well, an engineer. No, he was an engineer. engineer. Oh. Yeah. So during her time traveling around the UK, she possibly was shipwrecked uh, while on her way to Ireland and had to swim ashore. Oh wow! But what? like the 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 thing that interests me the most about this woman is that in 1838 she wrote these memoirs, which biographers think are just riddled with falsehoods. So, like, <laughs> the shipwreck, all of the revolution stuff that we don't know whether she, whose side she was on, really. Even, apparently, her dad... You know, I said her dad died before she was born. Yeah. She said that her dad was a soldier and he died in the Seven Years' War. But it's possible, as well, there is a theory that her dad was actually um, an executioner and <gasps> just died of, like, something completely different. And um, and she told her biographers as well that she was born in Bern, which is, as I said, quite boring, but was quite well to do at the time. And Strasbourg, I guess she didn't want people to know that she was born in Strasbourg or something. So like everything that we know about her might just be totally false. I like it. So weird. Yeah. It's like like her creations. She gives an approximation of the real thing, but never the real thing. Exactly. The metaphor. Yeah. Mm, novelist yeah. for a reason, my lads. <laughs> I mean, she sounds like she was a bit of a laugh, you know? I think she would have been... You know when people talk about, like, dream dinner party stuff, and I'm always a bit like, oh, naff, come on. Like, she would be very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Although Louis Theroux would be gutted for one the one dinner party that he's not invited to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, that's so true. Everyone says Louis Theroux, and everyone says David Attenborough. David Attenborough. And I'm like, yeah. Lads, they would hog the table with their bullshit stories. And also, <laughs> Louis Theroux is obsessed with sex workers in a way that I think is weird. Yeah. <laughs> and David Attenborough would have to make a lot of trips to the loo and you'd have to help him. I know. I mean, 
Don't want to be hearing about his prostate all night, you know? No, he's a lovely man, but... Also, I feel like David Attenborough, why are there no other, like, nature documentary people? It's like, give somebody else a turn. I feel like he's been quashing everybody who's come Mm. up through the ranks. Yeah, he's he's killed them all. Yeah. (laughs) And also, I'm glad that we're inviting um, Madame Tussauds because in Celebrity Dinner Party questions... Nobody ever picks a woman. Everyone always throws in like Cleopatra at the end, especially yeah, when yeah, you ask men. So right, so annoying. Yeah, she sounds fun. As did as, and I'd have her and that that Russian print like Queen Catherine or whatever that Caroline did for one episode that was just absolutely bonkers. Oh, Catherine oh, the Great. Yes. Yeah, Catherine the Great. Yeah, who shagged a horse? Maybe shagged a horse? Maybe, <laughs> and is currently being played by Helen Mirren. Helen Mirren. Yeah. Yeah. So she died in 1850 at the age of 89, which is crazy for 1850. Yeah, but maybe uh, she was actually born in like 1810. You never know. <laughs> oh, that's true. True. That's true. Um, and what what I kind of still didn't quite understand was why people loved all of these waxworks so much, like why she was so successful. But uh, there's a woman called Pamela Pilbeam, lovely name, oh. who, um, who's written that Madame Tussauds believed she provided entertainment, artistic enlightenment, historical education, and a place of pilgrimage. And actually, she kind of thought that she was providing news to people almost, because if you think about it, like there wasn't, there was photography sort of, you know, at the time in theory, but it wasn't widespread by any means. And so to go somewhere where you can see the face of someone like Louis XVI or Marie Antoinette or whatever. Yeah, yeah, of course. Must have been like quite exciting and and really unusual. I was going to say, even now, if there was waxworks of people that you'd never been able to see a picture of, like if I could go and see, I mean, I don't know if I'd pay to go and see it, but... I'd, I'd be interested to see, you know, a waxwork of Louis XVI's face because we've never seen a photo. We've seen paintings and stuff, but if you could, yeah. if it was extremely accurate, you know, it would be exciting to see those people from history where you've never really seen them or you feel yeah, like you have Yeah, totally, yeah. Um, there was also a really interesting article in The Guardian about, uh, I feel like I say that sentence every single episode, about, <laughs> <laughs> about Madame Tussauds and it was saying why people um, really enjoyed going there. And uh, it said, its appeal lay in the liberation of the observer from the normal rules of politeness. At a time when voting was extended to more working men, its newly enfranchised visitors could rant at a disliked politician or stare impersonately into the eyes of royalty. Oh, well, yeah. Wow. Which I thought was quite, quite a good point. That actually you can stare. You can stare. So, in a way, wow. Madame Two Swords was kind of the Twitter of its day. Yeah. <laughs> It's so, it's so, that's so interesting because it's like the democratization of like people generally and also the democratization of like these rulers, like they become more flesh and blood to you and less like these things that are like far away and never seen or heard from, especially only when bad things happen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, exactly. like social media, the first way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really but is. But it's kind of like yeah. a power thing, isn't it? Of like, um, you know, you could go to Madame Tussauds and see Brad Pitt and Brad Pitt can't tell you not to take a picture with him. Brad Pitt can't be so like, true. oh, sorry, I'm just going to get into my limo and like run off somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Um, I hate when he does that. <laughs> I can imagine when people like dating back from her time up till now, when they get asked, you know, to, for their likeness to be made into a waxwork, I'd imagine you'd have a lot of pause, right? Before you'd consent to it. Yeah. It's very, yeah. very personal thing. Like you're, because it's not just your face, it's like your dimensions and everything. It's quite a... Because they're so specific about it. Like they they spend a lot of time like measuring people and getting the hair right and getting the eyes right and everything. 
Yeah, and like, would you necessarily want people to know that you have a the size of your feet and your hands and your waist? Like, it's very. Should people know that about you? You know. Yeah, like I bet famous men are like, "Can you please just add three inches onto my height?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I bet they have Tom Cruise and his like uh, big heels, heels. Cuban heels. <laughs> oh my god, somebody should do Cuban heels. Oh yes. yes. Tom Cruise, let's get him on as a guest. <laughs> Can I just well, be his new wife, Alex? Oh, yeah, why not? I've got five years to spare. <laughs> My last question is, do you, they have to get the famous person's permission to make them or not? Yeah, because they'd have to pose, wouldn't they? They do. I think they do all have to pose for it. They have to be, like, measured and, like, have photographs oh, yeah, taken and stuff. Apparently there's no contracts and none of them are paid to to sit to sit there and be reproduced and waxed, but I suppose it only kind of like um, it only enhances their fame, doesn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, exposure. yeah. It's exposure. What I find fascinating is um, at what point do you retire a waxwork when the person is no longer that relevant? Do you know what I mean? Like, does yeah. Sophia and Baxter still have one? Oh, Sophia and Baxter is com- having a comeback because she's I doing know. all of these like. Uh, yeah, gigs from her living room. Apparently, they retired Gary Barlow for a bit, and then uh, when um, oh, and then when he came back. came back, yeah, <laughs> and they've got this big warehouse in Acton, uh, which is in West London, where they put all the retired ones. Wow! Oh no! So Gary Barlow uh, went to Acton for a bit and then came oh back. Oh God, that's so weird. That's like the the, the synonym for a celebrity dying. <laughs> they went to Acton. Yeah. <laughs> So that, that warehouse in Acton must just be like an episode of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. It's just people oh. vying for the comeback. Oh my God, totally. Just like, <laughs> just Rachel Stevens in there somewhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Never throw them away. That's what we can learn. Even most, Mr. Motivator is back. Yeah. Is he? Yeah. Oh, wow. Cool. Good for him. Good for them. Good for celebs. He's back motivating the nation to get fit and healthy. Isn't that kind of Joe Wicks's job now? Yeah, well, it's Joe Wicks versus Mr. Motivator, you see. The death match we've all been waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And now, a message from the organisers of the Women Who Code Mixer. <laughs> Sadly, this week, Women Who Code could not be held because all the white wine in the land has sadly been bought by bougie independent companies and delivered to your door in a charming rustic box. And we simply will not have a dry mixer. Uh, We did try it with red wine once, but everyone got far too intellectual and sleepy. And like, nobody even cried. It was a disaster. Um, Vodka made us too slutty. And, you know, don't even get started on the one that was sponsored by Special Brew. But we'll be back in the wild very soon in the new world and drinking white wine. Thank you. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Caroline, you're giving us some tips about how to grow our pubes this week. Is that right? Sorry, what? Uh, so, see, your section is on the Bush dynasty. Oh, Laura Bush. As oh. in, yes, I know. Although, having said that, I really could give a lot of pube tips because I personally, I think I have the nicest pubes in town. Do you? Oh, wow. So, I've just always liked that they sort of, you know, the curtains match the drapes, you know? Um, oh. But anyway, this... <laughs> This week I have been obsessed with Laura Bush, which like me and Alex were talking about this earlier, but like I always thought that both Bush wives were somehow called Barbara Bush. Yeah. (laughs) When you said you were doing Laura Bush, I assumed that was the Chelsea Clinton of the book. Like I thought it was like one of the daughters. I thought it was a daughter. No idea that it was a wife. So weird because like everyone accepts that there were two George Bushes, George Bush Sr. and George Bush Jr., and yeah. like, but everyone's just like, ah, yes. And they were all married to Barbara. <laughs> they were all yeah. <laughs> up to the Barbara hive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so basically, I mean, I'm sure if we have American listeners, they're probably yelling at their phone right now being like, obviously we know who Laura Bush is. But over here, the kind of the awareness of first ladies is quite a dim one, I would say. Yeah, we don't mm-hmm. care. Yeah, and like I, I've always found them really fascinating as a concept because, like, in the UK, the job of a first lady, if you will, is done by the royal family. Like all the like soft diplomacy, all the like going to charity benefits, having yeah. causes around literacy and children and stuff, mm-hmm. and all the like meeting people from different world, like like countries and stuff. That's very much what the royals do. And in yeah. Ireland, it's what we, we've got a similar kind of separation in that we have our Taoiseach, who's like basically our prime minister. And then we have our president, Michael Higgins, who's like in charge of like having lovely lunches where someone reads a poem, you know? Oh, OK. I wondered what the difference was. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's much more nuanced than that. But in insofar as like what it's like to actually live in the country, that's what it is. But like the weird thing about America and like lots of other countries that that job is basically taken on by the wife of the US president. So like she basically, as Laura Bush herself was fond of saying, like she had an electoral candidate of, of one man. Like she's like, one man elected me for this job and it has yeah. no and it has no rules. Wow, yes, yeah. It, and that's such a weird thing. And like the reason I've got into her this week is um you guys might vaguely know of an author called Curtis Sittenfeld. Have you guys read her at all? I know the name. I honestly thought she maybe wrote Friends or something. I've just (laughs) seen... I've seen the name and I would have thought it was a bloke as well. So this is like, this is where like the School for Dumb Women really shows its stripes because this is very much like 
a thing smart women know about is Curtis Hittenfeld. Do you know what I mean? She's like... Yeah, I'm she's... famously not smart. <laughs> no, I didn't really know who she was either. It's just like, she's kind of like the Jonathan Franzen of women. Like, she's uh, very... She's a very, oh, very <laughs> smart... She's a very good novelist who's written, like, this five 500-page novel called American Wife. She's written other novels as well. And she's got a new one coming out about Hillary Clinton. But basically, this one, American Wife, it's her big book that everyone loves and smart women care about. Um, (laughs) And it's like loosely based on the life of Laura Bush. And I finally got into it during the pandemic. And I'm like, a third of the way in, it's really, really good. But it was one of those things where I was like, Jesus, did this this really happen to this woman? And then, so so it's a great thing where you're constantly looking between the book and the Wikipedia page. Mm. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I know. It's so good, isn't it? And then the thing where, like, you're only so far into the book and you don't want any real life spoilers and you're like, Like, yeah, I know. That's the thing. You don't want to be like, ah, you're like scrolling with your hand over half the page. Yeah. 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 Totally. Well, and obviously, in like, in Laura Bush's case, the big spoiler is 9 11 happened. So it's like, So it's hard to to protect yourself from that. But basically, let me tell you a little bit about her. Um, So she's like a Texan woman. She's the exact same age as her husband, which I really enjoy. (laughs) I like it when people are the same age as their spouses. And like, I just from the absolute up top of this whole segment, I want to say, I think like George Bush is probably one of the most, I don't know that much about like American politics as a non-American, but like, a hideous president, like yeah. terrible, <laughs> very, very, very stupid. Yeah, and like just like let like people sort of even like George Bush ap- apologists are like he was basically too stupid to have known any better. Yeah, and he, was, and he <laughs> yeah. was like a puppet for this like this um, Republican government. But like mm. the, the Patriot, you know, invading Iraq, like every everything, it's all bad. But I think what I always find really fascinating with people I don't like is when they have really strong marriages. Yes. Because it's like a thing that you associate with like good people, like people who are able to have like loving spouses who like clearly yeah. it's not an act. It's like a real yeah. thing, you know? Yeah, because with someone like that, you're always like, oh, well, they must just be evil together. They must yes. just talk about <laughs> evil things together and like go and shoot wildlife and stuff. Totally. They must just be evil together. And Hannah, I'm so glad that you said this because that leads me into the biggest point of this. It's just that like, <laughs> until she married her husband, she was a Democrat. No. What? Yeah, she was a Democrat. She was a primary school teacher. She had a master's in library science. She was a librarian. <laughs> She purposefully went out of her way to like work in really poor schools. Like, Excuse me, she was Miss Honey. She was Miss. Oh my! Oh my God, she was Miss Honey. This is blowing my because I've always been really suspicious. You know what you're saying about having a good marriage. I hate the fact that the Obamas are really good friends with the Bushes, and I'm like, what do they know that we don't? But maybe they just love Barbara. Yeah, yeah. I and you know what? I think like if you totally divorce the Bushes from everything terrible they've done. Sure. I think they're good. They're like good crack. Like, that's an awful thing to say, and I'm sure many people won't like me because of it. But like, I think you can separate someone doing evil things from being good crack. And I think Trump has been coasting on that for years. Like people, like I've met journalists who have like been in rooms with him, and he's like, yeah, I've like been at benefits he's hosted for years, and he's always lovely. Like, and it's I just think that is. Mm. It's one of the central, most compelling things about being a human being is like how, how you can just hold all those complexities. But to get back to Laura, so 
she was she's born in Texas in this like kind of small-ish city of about a hundred thousand people called um I think Midland or something, Midland, Texas. And a very sort of like middle class family. She's the only child of um of her parents and uh has a very like is very pretty, is very popular, has a very like 1950s childhood. And yeah. um, then two weeks after her 17th birthday, in uh, November 1963, she is out driving with her pal under the speed limit. She's going to like a movie theater, a drive-in. Um, she's there with her pal. Under the, she she doesn't see a stop sign, and she kills one of her best friends who's in oh. another car. Who's in another car? Literally, she plows through another car, and it happens to be Whoa. the car of her best friend, and she kills him instantly. And oh like, my god! And weirdly, his name is Michael Douglas. <laughs> it's a really like tragic thing but i just think it's really weird that his name is michael douglas but like he was like he was literally like they they were in this like big group at school they were all like very popular and athletic he was going out with her best mate she was really good friends with him like like, they'd grown up together they like would spend hours on the phone together and stuff like she was he was a properly a good friend of hers and going out with her best friend and she just killed him instantly two weeks before Kennedy was assassinated, which is kind of just a historical note. <laughs> um, <laughs> and like, so just like, what does that do to a person? Do you know what I mean? Especially in this like quite small city. And like, you know, yeah. it's, it's kind of a spoiler for this book that I'm reading by Curtis Sittenfeld, American Wife. Like a lot of it is about that and how it does, how, how it just Sittenfeld kind of wondering, like, how does that change a person? But, it changed um, her by making a want to marry a Republican. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so like, all of her biographers say, like, you know, she she was an extremely, like, thoughtful person. And she, like, always thought really hard before she did anything. And she kind of really wanted to live her life in service to other people. And it was all, it all happened because of this car crash. Wow. And, like, she told wow. her biographers that she's lived with the, with the guilt her entire life. She never went to the funeral. And she never visited the boy's parents afterwards. Oh. And she she always regretted it because, like, Nobody knew how to handle the situation. It was all just very weird. And like, they kind yeah. of tried to carry on as if life was normal, but life was just never normal again. Oh my God, that would ruin your life. It would ruin your fucking life. Like one of your pals as well. Like, and like, geez. So maybe that's the thing. Maybe she thought, well, if I marry someone who's able to change things, I can make life better for people. Well, maybe. Because like, she doesn't really talk. She's quite a private person, and like, so she went and she went, She got like a master's in uh in library science. Became a librarian, and it became Miss Honey, right? And she, yeah. got, and like, considering now this is the seventies, and in um Texas, like quite a conservative society. Like by the time she's thirty one years old, she's unmarried. Like, and she's like, look look up the pictures of her. She's a gorgeous woman. Like, and like, it it was very odd for like her and her friends, and her family that like Laura is still unmarried at the age of 31 and all she cares about is like teaching underprivileged kids and being Miss Honey. And like, then she meets George Bush at this like barbecue of a friend of a friend. And like, he's 31 as well. And I I imagine still in the ninth grade. (laughs) (laughs) Is that how she met him? She was teaching him. She was teaching teaching him to read. (laughs) Wow. My biggest underprivileged child of all, George W. Bush. <laughs> I can fix him. Uh, I can fix him. 
Maybe he can move things with his mind like Matilda. <laughs> <laughs> and um, here's the thing. So like somebody who like has lived her whole life in this very like politically liberal, but like personally conservative way. Like she's very quiet and thoughtful. Then she like, like they meet at this barbecue. They go mini golfing on their first date and they're married three months later. Wow. Ooh. And like her wedding dress, I, I think I sent you guys a picture of her, of them on their wedding day earlier on because I've been looking mm. at their pictures all day. Like, <laughs> I, I want one of you to open the picture I sent you and describe what it is that you see. Yeah, it's it's basically something that you'd think would be the wedding dress now of like a cool literary woman that you knew who just like decided to get married married a couple of days before and like went to Zara and got a really cool dress. Yes. That is exactly what it is. Like her, it's like very simple. It's kind of like a pearly color. Like and then she's there and like her and George are there and they look like such a handsome nice couple. Yeah. George Bush actually looks like a bit of a ride here. I know. It's mad. We we will post this on social. And like then <laughs> it's like his parents are flanking them on either side. And obviously his parents are George Bush and Barbara Bush. And at that point, George Bush Sr. wasn't like famous yet. I mean, he wasn't like a president yet, obviously. But Right. Like, what... I was going to say, what at what stage was he at kind of thing? Mm. That, that wasn't until the 80s, but they were still millionaires. Like they right. were like, they had this like huge Bush compound in Texas. They like were oil millionaires. Like they were like absolutely filthy rich. And there is yeah. Laura... Laura just buys this dress, this beigey grey dress off the rack, like a few days before she gets married, and like meet and that's how she like enters into the hyper rich world of her new husband. Like wow. it was just a, it's kind of great, right? Yeah, and she and she's not from money or anything. She's like middle class. Wow. I wonder what her motivation was with that. Like it was it just was it just, you know, oh I like this guy and I'll marry him great, or was it like yeah, I'll marry into this rich family and then sort of, uh, you know, see what I can do with it. Well, apparently, like, it was like a total whirlwind romance and they were just genuinely, like, really mad about each other. And um, yeah. I know, it's so weird. It's like, wow, this guy who's responsible for so much, so many awful things. Yeah. Um, he And he, he obviously, like, he was politically motivated even then. But she, and, um, she said to him, like, I'll only marry you if you promise that you'll never make me do a campaign speech and you'll never, like, drag me into your world or make me be some kind of mouse beast for the Republican Party. Wow. So she was still a Democrat then? Like, I don't know why I feel like, um, you know, if you marry someone who's Muslim, sometimes you have to, like, convert to Islam. For some reason, I've got that in my head that she would yeah. have to, like, renounce being a Democrat. That's exactly Con- what I'm picturing as well. <laughs> yeah, you would think, because I think it's well, because maybe even like 30 years ago, this wouldn't have been that strange. I don't know. But it feels like today, because people are so political and so polarised. You, I mean, I just have people people all the time, and I obviously haven't dated in a long time, but like, like oh, I'd never date a Tory. I'd never date someone who thought this. I never, like people's ideals are like extremely important to them now. Mm, yeah. and like, And maybe they were then too, I can't say, but like, I don't think any of my friends would like openly date a Tory. No, I would find it really difficult. Yeah, to to do that. Yeah, yeah, and like I'm not saying that either one is a choice or not. I think like you know, marry who you're in love with and try and influence them as much as you can. Like, yeah, but, <laughs> bring them um, down from the inside. Break them down from the inside. <laughs> and this was actually once she became the first lady, like because 
all like so many liberals recognized that she was such a smart person. She was so well read. Like she like was always kind of like inviting these really prominent authors and speakers to the White House. And she was trying to make it as learned as possible. And like what all her critics have said was like, she's obviously a smart woman and she's standing there and she's doing nothing. And she's like letting all these terrible things happen. And like mm. she she even said in her in her memoir, she was like she says she believes in gay marriage and like her husband acted against gay marriage at every count. She said what? she believes in a she believes that abortion is a fundamental female healthcare right and her her husband tried to roll back abortion rights as well. Like it's mad. I'd be so interested to be a fly on the wall in that marriage when those conversations were happening. Yeah. I don't know yeah. how you can marry the two, you know, like the Yeah. the, the ideals and the man because I just think I would be my wide-on would be absolutely gone if my boyfriend <laughs> uh, was like, oh, obviously I don't believe in abortion and gay marriage, no. I'd be like, oh, I don't think I can see you as a sexual being anymore. <laughs> like, Yeah, like... I don't know, like, I would find that really off-putting. It's really weird. And it's like, I suppose everyone always says about, like, the Trump presidency that, like, actually... Um, there's loads of terrible things that he wants to do, but we never hear about it because Ivanka is really good at like reeling him in and that she's actually quite liberal. That's what people say. But like, you'd wonder if with Laura Bush, it was the same thing that like... Isn't Ivanka the daughter? Yeah, yeah. I mean... The daughter Ivanka wife. kind of like... Yeah, she is the daughter wife, which is fucking weird. But, <laughs> yeah. like, but like, yeah, she has like a lot of sway. But um, when when she was promoted, when Laura Bush was promoting her memoir, which kind of said that she believed in both abortion and gay marriage. Um, Larry King was like, what the fuck? Like, how can you believe in these things? And also, you know, your husband doesn't. And yeah. she just said, like, uh, she just said, like, you know, he understands my view and I understand his. And um, it's, you know, it's not a thing. Wow. wow. Yeah. But just like everything you read about this woman, she's so like, she so stays out of the limelight and she and like it's weird because she was sandwiched between these two really outgoing first ladies like if you think of Hillary Clinton before her and Michelle yeah. Obama after her like they're of course yeah like two like hugely forceful personalities and then there's her in the middle just like quietly like doing her thing you know just like quietly voting against her husband <laughs> Yeah, and there's a story that, that like someone t- tells about her where it's like, um, so there was this whole thing when um, Bush got elected for the second time where um, there was suspicion of him having rigged the ballot and of it being a completely bogus election. And um, yeah. and so it, it went to like the to Congress for like weeks where like they were debating whether or not he was, uh, they were trying to figure it out basically, whether or not he had cheated in his, present, in his um, yeah. election. But um she, meanwhile, was, like, hosting some kind of, like, book event. And, like, literally on the day that he was getting the, like, the referendum on, as to whether or not he could become president, she was, like, someone talks about her, like, literally, like, being at this stall, like, asking how many tote bags were sold. Like, she's just, like, somebody who, like, takes her responsibilities, like, very seriously and, like, has always been really committed to, like, books and literacy and education in a way that, like, I think with a lot of first ladies, there's this kind of thing to be like, I care about everything that's like related to like women and like, you know, food and kids and like everything that isn't yeah. specifically mm, about the presidency. Yeah. And, like where she's like, no, I care about literacy and like I care about kids reading and I care about it with my whole heart all the time. Wow. Yeah, it's really fascinating. 
I'm if I'm trying to find a tiny silver lining about George Bush Junior, it's that fair enough that he didn't try and make her, you know, a part of his appeal or a part of his campaign where he had this like angel woman that's sitting there. <laughs> yeah. And at least and at least he wasn't like, oh actually you have to give up your life to become part of mine. It sounds like she actually did just carry on with doing her own thing. Yeah, like I find it really like fascinating. And also when you think about she is the only first lady in history to have a first lady for a mother in law. Oh yeah. Oh yes, Meta. So weird. Like so I, I imagine it's so strange to have like that example before you because nobody nobody would have been like oh i don't know we're all just making this up as we go along because the bushes like knew they knew how to do things by then yeah that must be so weird for for barbara to be seeing her son follow exactly in the footsteps of her husband and then to get this yeah daughter-in-law and just be like well she's me yeah right and like this whole thing of like well when mom was first lady she always put out (laughs) cookies for the democrats or whatever that's not how she baked the cakes for the bake sale okay (laughs) so weird and like i saw this thing about like when it was about because every every first lady obviously puts her little stamp on the white house you know and yeah. Right, yeah. and laura bush's little stamp was that she organized all the books by the dewey decimal system (laughs) Oh. And then Trump probably just burnt all the books when he arrived. <laughs> yeah. Burn them all. Oh, God. I feel like she sounds like she has a brain. And without being too cruel, I mean, it really, really seems like George Bush Jr. really didn't. I mean, how? Yeah. I don't really get it. But everyone who's ever seen them together has been like, they are like literally like, the wind beneath each other's wings. It's like he's he's like quite jokey and silly and outgoing and she's quite retired and thoughtful and just together they just love each other and get a real kick out of each other. Wow. And I, I want to say it again. I don't like the bushes. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I really, I've, and look, I mean, and hats off to Curtis Sittenfeld and like everybody read the book because it is as good as everybody says it is. And it, it's the perfect length for like, you know, Corona reading, which is 450 pages long. Yeah, um, yeah. I also just find, uh, this is like very shallow. I just find her really pretty. Like, Aww. she's just like, she's just that kind of woman. That ha- it's, she's how you want to look when you're in your 70s. Like, she has this like, very beautiful face with these lovely green eyes. And I just, I like looking at her. <laughs> oh, I'm looking at her now. She, Yeah, she looks nice. What's she doing these days? Is she like on Twitter or something? Is she active or are they kind of just retired? She's on Instagram and she likes animals. You know, so oh. fine. <laughs> Which is a very retired first lady thing to be into is animals. Do you know what's so weird as well is, like I said with the Man of Two Swords thing, like Laura Bush is in a pandemic right now. <laughs> yeah, what she's doing. I, I wonder. Same with her animals, probably. They're animals, probably yeah. like but... teaching George Bush how to add. <laughs> yeah. Today, George, we're doing fractions. Yeah. <laughs> now, if, I, if we have 10 cupcakes and we take away five. <laughs> what did I tell you about washing your hands? Come on, George. <laughs> Let's sing the happy birthday song together while we wash our hands. And now it's time for our smart lesson in which we try to learn more about how to become smart feminist women. Alex, you're talking about being horny today. (laughs) That's right, Hannah. Uh, My smart lesson this week is how to be horny. 
Uh, of course, very difficult in these current times if you are single and or not living with your significant other or anyone you can sleep with. So it's, you know, it's, it's testing times, especially for myself. I mean, you two, you both live with your partners. So I assume you're having sex every seven minutes. Is that correct? <laughs> well, my boyfriend has decided to go and get something called a uh, COVID. So there's been lots of uh, washing up gloves around the place at the moment. Although, uh, what's new, you know? Oh, COVID. I think I've seen something about that on the news, but I can't be sure. Yeah, I think Eamon Holmes did a segment on it or something. Mm, And 5G. Yes, 5G strings. Um, Sorry, I'm just getting (laughs) in the mood of a horny person because it was also National Horny Day last week. Did you know that? I didn't know that. There's now a National Horny Day. How does National Horny Day differentiate from all of the other days in my life? That was one of the main questions I thought about. uh, But as yet, no answer from the government. Apparently they're tied up with some (laughs) other stuff. Um, So I feel like it didn't get the recognition it deserves. Uh, You know, everyone's in a different scenario here. And I think uh, I can speak for all single people where uh, when I say that uh, dating apps are awful because I hate them anyway. And even if you're trying to make a connection with someone on there, and even if you do, you sort of have to be like, Right, well, see you in two months, maybe, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, such an odd one, isn't it? Yeah, so that's quite a strange one. So what I would say is match with everyone you want on an app. This is my smart lesson tip. Then send them a sort of generic message and just say, message me on the 1st of June. Uh, And then you can sort of pick up where you left off. You know, you've got them there. You've got the match. You've planted the seed. uh, But let's Mm. not waste six weeks of time getting to know each other in case we meet each other in person on a you know appalled you know oh I mean? yeah yeah it's it's very like sleepless in seattle and meet me at the top of the empire state building except for every single person you match with on hinge yes exactly yes some people have got back in touch with their ex because you know you can't see them so you may as well just enjoy the fun stuff see i'm very offended i keep hearing about people who keep hearing from their exes and not a single one of my exes has gotten in touch like i'm horny i mean i know i'm having sex with my live-in boyfriend, but I could still use a dick pic from someone I haven't seen since 2008. (laughs) Well, there you go. You've said it on here. I'm sure you'll be absolutely inundated now. I think the rule of the smart lesson is basically, you know, during this pandemic, there are no rules, okay? I don't think it's able... You're not able to cheat. Like, Caroline, if you enjoyed a dick pic from anyone, Gavin would have to be fine with it, you know? Because it's not your fault. Um, Everybody is extremely horny. Um, If you want to pretend you're having more sex than you are, maybe tweet or Instagram pictures of your cranberry sachets and say you've got cystitis. Um, (laughs) People will instantly think that you're being rogered every minute of every day. Yeah, and as well, you're creating scarcity, which will create demand. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, Um, My tip for this is um, if you are a person who's having sex, you have to um, theme your sex nights. So, um, oh, okay, I'm listening. So uh, me and Gavin, we have workshop Tuesdays. So Tuesdays is when you, you workshop a new idea. And then oh, Sunday... Oh, I thought it was like he was a carpenter in a workshop. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's when you get to bring whatever you want to the ideas table and nobody gets to judge or okay. comment on it later and make fun of them over dinner. That's fine. Workshop Tuesdays. And then uh, Sunday is trad night. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Well, just like the sort of what, you know, what works. Nope. Yeah. Proper. No, 1950s, like missionary all the way. Cracking. 
That's what you want on a Sunday night, to be fair. You don't want to be bringing out the toys and the masks and the role play, you know? Yeah. You want to be made love to like he's about to go to Vietnam, you know? Yes, exactly. You want the last of the summer wine sex <laughs> on a Sunday. You cannot be I'm having... so glad yeah. no one listens to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's like uh, my, my friend once texted me on a Wednesday morning saying that she was driving to work and she had a bit of uh, ejaculate in her hair uh, that she that oh. she'd forgotten to get out. And my boyfriend of the time was like oh my god that's awful and I was like well you know she didn't mean for it to be in there and he went no it's just that he shouldn't be coming on her face on a Tuesday night (laughs) (laughs) and I was like sorry when is acceptable for the face just just give me a time table on a Tuesday (laughs) I Um, am obsessed with that and then I thought about it and I was like I see what you mean I mean it is you know it's midweek really more Um, of a birthday treat yes exactly FaceTime sex. I mean, you know, if you're if you're if you're having some sexy time over the phone, generally, you know, can be quite horny. But uh, obviously, it's like an online comedy gig. There's not a lot of atmosphere, okay. Um, mm. And also, you've got to think about angles. Like, remember when you switch your phone on sometimes, and it's you know facing your face, and you look like a thumb. Oh my you know, god! Even, you have six chins. Awful. Even worse if you're trying to make someone else horny, okay. So just totally. beware, yeah, you can you can it can't be live streaming while you flip it around because you no, would look like your own granddad. No, no. But you know, also take the time to dress up over FaceTime. You know, characters, role play. You've got a lot of time to just put into some new looks. I've got a lot of wigs. You know, maybe if you if you own any of them, get them out. The thing about just- dressing up for any kind of FaceTime, whether it's a sex call or a business call or whatever, is that uh, it's that same thing about like you know when you watch porn and then after you're like done it's still oh, there it's yeah. like after the call is over you're still just sitting there in your in your pants and your wig and oh like, well, now i feel dumb yes <laughs> yes horrendous um if you're single um order yourself some sexy underwear because we're still allowed to use online delivery services uh take some absolutely incredible nudes send them to every single person you've previously slept with followed quickly by a oh so sorry didn't mean to send this to you Her, hope you're well Hope you're doing well in these unprecedented times here. Am I yes. <laughs> and just, yeah. you know, see what happens. Uh, but I also saw, Caroline, uh, I want you to help people that are in a long-term relationship. I saw that mm. you had started using your Google Calendar to schedule sex, and I'm intrigued by it. Have you got any tips for the listeners? Well, yes. So both Gavin and I are working from home and uh, at different kind of ends of our incredibly small flat. And uh, I thought it would be cute and sweet and a little sexy of me if I just like, you know, put a little event in his diary that was like, nice. oh, um, and I always like um, had like a cute, like office friendly line in the in the event description, like, oh, nice. a, cha- a chance for everyone to come share what they did with the team. <laughs> like, office lingo. And I kept putting them in his diary. Like and he and he tentatively accepted, and I was like tentatively wow. accept. <laughs> wow! And then and then I got a notification, and this is like he didn't even like call across the flat saying, "Haha, funny joke, babe." He pretty tentatively accepted, and then a minute later he deleted it from his calendar. I was like, <laughs> "Fuck you! I'm trying to make things special for us." That is, I would find that extremely horny, Caroline. If you were my girlfriend, I'd be like, "Yes, please." Oh, I am accepting this meeting. 
I, I love a parallel world where you and I are girlfriends. Yes, but your your career would immediately tank because we'd be having sex all the time. <laughs> I know. We'd both be so needy is the thing. So needy. My final don't is just uh, just simply one line. Under no circumstances, meet the one during these times because by the time you actually meet them, you will hate them. So uh, that's my tip for you all. Just don't don't find any true happiness. Oh, great. Love, love to end on a positive note. No worries. <laughs> Anytime, guys. I'm here for you all. And that's all for this week. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, you can hear more by searching School for Dumb Women on your favourite podcast app and following us on the usual social media platforms at Dumb Women Pod. You can also hear us on Soho Radio every other Thursday at 6pm. Thanks to Gavin Day for our artwork, Harry Harris for our jingles, and Soho Radio Studios for helping us with the remote recording. Stay safe, everybody, and stay dumb. Bye! Bye! And I will see the rest of you on Trad Night. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.